Thanks, Matt. Would you like to open your Bibles uh, to page 1220? Um, And we'll be reading from 1 Peter this morning, chapter 1, verse 13, through to chapter 2, verse 3. You can follow along on the screen behind me too. So our passage this morning is entitled, Be Holy. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Well, thanks very much, Shara, and good morning again, everyone. It is great to have you with us. Uh, Before we get going today, I let our regulars know in the weekly email that today's sermon is a little different. With COVID taking Jamie out at the last minute a week ago, with me being away, we called in a favour and had our guest uh, preacher, Philip Locke, uh, pull out one of his recent sermons from Dr. Phil. Uh, And this week, we are getting back into our One Peter series. Continuing on with the passage that, uh, and the series that Jamie has done so much work on and had a sermon about 90% finished and with quite a bit going on uh, this week in the life of the church and some other challenges, we decided that the best way forward was for me to take Jamie's almost completed sermon and I'd give it a light rewrite uh, this morning and share it with you. So I've cut and paste and put my own thoughts in at points but you hear some strong tones of Jamie and his very gifted insights into God's word and his certain songwriter's way with words. So I consider today a preaching duet from uh, me and uh, Jamie. So take it as an unusual sermon from two people who love God's word, this church and the mission that Jesus has given us to share this great news about him to the world. Uh, Jamie is a man of uh, many creative pursuits and he and Aisha went to see Van Gogh alive 
last year when it came to Adelaide. Uh, did anyone else go and see it? Oh, quite a few hands. Uh, I thought this was only something creative people like Jamie did. Uh, it's great that you went along. I had, I had to Google it and had a bit of a look uh, at what it was. So it was a sort of a digitally immersive way of exploring uh, Van Gogh. You can show the next slide there. That's a, a, a painting, even a, a novice on art loving uh, like me knows, and apparently you can walk through into the next room after that, and you see this. So that's a little bit of Van Gogh alive. Um, the narrative of Van Gogh's life is quite a powerful one. He struggled to find a career, he had a sad love life and a troubled mind. And yet, in just 10 years, he created 2,000 works of art, influential, stunning, and adored by many in the world today. Yet, fun fact, he only sold one of them in his lifetime. Rod here is an artist and and does uh, many pursuits. I'm sure if you asked Rod afterwards, he'd be a little bit disappointed if he only sold one of his artworks or sculptures uh, in his lifetime. But Van Gogh, as you know, today those artworks go for millions. But back then, he was not appreciated. A strange and troubled soul who came to a tragic end. He lived before his time. We're kind of fascinated by that kind of narrative, aren't we? Perhaps you can think of uh, artists, musicians or thinkers who have captured something of your heart because they too lived or their time. We're drawn into such stories, which is in part unsettling as we sort of romanticise the sadness, isolation and tragic mental illness of someone like Van Gogh, but if we're honest, it helps us to connect with them in a deeper way. As a person myself who's had my own mental health challenges and having lost someone I love uh, to them as well, it's perhaps no accident that my favourite uh, living preacher of all time is someone who's battled quite debilitating depression for decades. Stories like this in Van Gogh's tap into something very real for us because the pain and struggle of our life that we feel at points, we just have that burning insight that it has to have meaning. Whatever the worldview or religion, uh, whatever level of wealth and poverty people find themselves in, I think all people everywhere have those moments when you step back from the busyness of everything and ask the question, is this really it? Is there something more? Is there a real depth and meaning behind our struggles? Is there a better place for me? A place of beauty where we really belong? Jesus, as he strode this earth with all the confidence of the creator God, come to earth to share our human flesh and our struggles, answers yes to those questions. Peter, one of Jesus' first and closest followers, shares his God-given insights into all of this and in his first letter is here to tell us today that if you belong to Jesus, he has given you a place in a time yet to come a place of beauty never-ending, where you'll have a secure place. And in his first letter, he calls us, as it kicked off a couple of weeks ago now, 
uh, it refers to Christians as elect exiles, a people handpicked by the God of the universe to belong to him, given a blood-bought inheritance, a promised land, if you will, that can never perish, spoil or fade in the green pastures of eternity. And it's a place that deep down every human heart longs for. Yet belonging to that place, as we see across the Bible, actually creates, and it's a major theme of 1 Peter, creates certain pressures and tensions on us today. So that's why Peter likens it as us living as foreigners now, of feeling that sense of alienation as a people living before our time. So the question is, how do you live in this world today when you belong to a world that is yet to come? Well, let's read again from verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Peter calls us to a life of very practical hope. I think the older translations kind of pick up a bit more of the force of uh, what Peter wrote with. Uh, The phrase translated minds that are alert really carries more force than that. It's really sort of set your minds to action with great intent. Set yourselves fully on the hope that is to come. So how do we engage in that battle for hope? How do you live in this world when Jesus tells you you belong to a much better world that is yet to come, that you're living before your time? Well, Jamie has broken the passage down into three ways that Peter answers that question, and you'll see them in your sermon outline. Firstly, we're called to live differently, in verses 13 to 16, with this call, be holy because I am holy. That phrase is a quote from the book of Leviticus that God spoke to Israel in centuries prior when they were freshly rescued from slavery in Egypt and they were wandering in the desert towards their new home. As they wandered, God showed them how to walk in the freedom of being his precious children and that that walk was to be different from the surrounding nations and their ways. Here's a little sample from Leviticus 19. Uh, of which Peter quotes from. Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor And the foreigner, I am the Lord your God. Can you imagine a little Israelite boy on the desert road heading to a new home that he's never seen, a land of promise and belonging, tugging at his dad's cloak? Dad, why does our family make sure there's food left over to share with all the poor people? It's not like we have much. And dad answers, because God loves and cares for the poor, and as God's family, we need to show God's heart as he takes us to a rich land. Dad, why does our family make sacrifices in God's tent? 
Well, to remind us that sin is an offence to God, yet out of love, he's made a way for us to be cleansed from sin by the pouring out of blood. If you're someone who belongs to Jesus, you're called to be different, to be holy, bearing the family resemblance, fighting the good fight against sin, knowing that our home is ahead of us with Jesus. How do you feel about being known as different on the work site, the office, the classroom? Different because you're a follower of Jesus. Well, we're told here it involves learning a new walk, but also actively stepping away from the old walk. Hope stands out. Have a look at verse 14 there. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. That's kind of confronting for us, isn't it? Peter is saying that a life lived under any authority that isn't Jesus is dominated by desires that are not from God, by definition, evil. But how do we wrestle with what Peter's saying here? Because yes, we see in our own hearts and in the world evil desires at play, but also amongst us and uh, people of all nations and places, we see people retaining something of the image of God and see beauty and the capacity in all humanity to do good at times. I don't think Peter's unaware of that. I think he's inviting us to look deeper, deeper into our hearts. If Jesus isn't the one I follow, if God isn't the one I live for, who do I follow and who do I live for? In our time, we're increasingly told to reject any bigger stories, any grand narratives of our world. We're told to live out our own individual story Staying true to only me. We love our family as part of that story. We love those who share our ideas as part of that story. We can be generous to others whom we deem worthy in a way that makes us feel better about our own story. Yet quite often we find fleeting joy and often following our own compass leads us into deeper pain, loneliness and destruction. We love to kind of romanticise the idea of the tortured artist like Van Gogh. But if we take off the rose-coloured glasses, the tortured artist tells us that sometimes we pursue and want things that hurt us and force us to ask the question, maybe there's something wrong with our compass. In verse 18, Peter speaks about the empty way of life handed down from your ancestors. And it's possible Peter here is writing to Christians from a Jewish background, a people who knew all too well the danger of knowing about the one true God, yet at their lowest, only living in a way that outwardly obeyed his laws, yet not really bearing the family resemblance of a God who reaches out to his enemies not just those he considers worthy. I think that's a big part of why so many Jews in Peter's day saw Jesus as a threat 
because he confronted their self-image of being worthy of God when in fact Jesus came to show God's love for the unworthy. God's heart is one of great love for all, for the rebels, those who have embraced sin and celebrate it, for those who polish our image for the sake of others, yet cannot deal with the reality of what lies within us at points. Our God calls for and has a plan of redemption for all people. He calls you and I back. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, he makes sinners like us who have placed our trust in him holy. Jesus cleanses us and calls us to bear a new family likeness, to learn to walk in the footsteps of our maker and saviour, Jesus, the Holy One. So beautifully different from our world of self-centeredness and infighting. And so, yes, if you throw your lot in with him and follow him as he calls you, which is costly, you will be as a people living in tension, living ahead of your time. And it can be alienating for us. But this life we are called to is never futile and you never walk alone. You get to have purpose in the here and now and make the most of the journey on the road home. To live like now as people who belong to the promised land. As a church community like this one, a little beacon on the horizon so that others can see what it means to belong to Jesus today. So here's the confronting question we need to ask ourselves. What are the desires of the world around me that I'm tempted to live my life by? What gods of our own making are we most attracted to? Is it the belief that finding romantic love is the goal of life? Is it the burning desire to make a name for myself? Is it the lure of the we're all set life where our goal is to provide every, and I mean every opportunity for me and my family. Do we need to remember that these things are passing away and at their heart they are self-focused, not other person focused as Jesus is? And that only the holy God offers enduring peace, purpose and security that will never fail. That only Jesus actually offers me a secure relationship, a dignified status, and an unshakable future as he calls us to follow him. Whatever it is for you, the challenge is to ask yourself, what kind of master is that man-made God? (laughs) And what would it mean for me if the desires it feeds in me are actually not good for me? And what would be different if I kind of put on the armour of my brain, set myself, set my hope more fully on the God I really want to follow, the one who shed his blood to buy me a home? How do I live in this world when I belong to that world? Differently is the first answer. 
And second, verse 17 to 21, with a healthy kind of fear. Now, we don't like to think of ourselves as fearful, yet fear actually drives a great many of our actions and hurts our self-image. Fear can really oppress us and haunt us at times. The fear of missing out the best this life has to offer. The fear of being the odd one out at the school gate. The fear of being a disappointment to others in the workplace and for our career not progressing to the point where it makes us feel worthy. The fear of letting down your kids and your friends. The fear of some of our inner thoughts being revealed and known. The fear of our health failing us and life being cut short. Yet God calls us to a very different kind of fear, a much healthier fear that brings clarity and actually brings security as we travel through this alienating world. Have a look with me at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time in this world as foreigners here in reverent fear. This is the kind of healthy fear that drives a life that is homeward bound. In this verse, Peter holds together two stunning truths that are real for us, are real for everyone who places their trust in Jesus. That the judge of the universe, to which all people must give an account at the end of the day, actually invites us to call on him as Father. And that the Father loves us, who paid such a price in his own son to give lost sinners a home. This judge is also the impartial judge of all. So what kind of fear is this? Well, one thing's for sure. It's not a fear of losing your place amongst God's people, of disapproval, of punishment. Because the judge is your father. He loves you. Yet it's a reverent fear. It's knowing that what your father has saved you from, the rap sheet of bronze that we should bear the cost of, but we don't have to thanks to God's grace, that undeserved gift towards us. It's knowing that your father, who's done all of this for you, cares about what you do. He sees our conduct and it matters to him. It's kind of hard to find the perfect analogy here because our relationships with one another are always kind of sinner to sinner, always touched even in little ways by our brokenness, our selfishness, our insecurities. But our Father calls us to fear him from a place of absolute security, knowing that he would never cast you out if you've come to him in Jesus. And yet with this security, we live in awe of his goodness, dreading the thought of doing what is displeasing in his sight, even as you know that he will always welcome back his wayward children. We have many fears to be sure, but Peter says, don't fear them. Instead, fear the judge of all, fear from a place of security. So let me ask, what fear is driving your life at the moment? It's an interesting thing. 
uh, sort of processing someone else's sermon and having to ask myself all these questions, it's quite a question to ponder. And don't just do it for the next 10 seconds, take it out with you into the week. Is it the fear of missing out? Is it the fear of letting down the boss? Is it the fear of what my family thinks? Is it the fear of not being seen as someone who can provide the very best in life to those who you love? Or is it a healthier fear, well, the only healthy fear, of wanting to please the judge who is always pleased with you because he is your tirelessly kind father? Can I say, if you're here today wondering about who Jesus is, wondering if this life of a chosen stranger is something you'd like to be a part of, I think it's actually this point that is one of the most beautiful things about following Jesus. You only really have to worry about the one opinion that matters most. And if you're not sure what that opinion is, have a look at verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. This is how seriously your judge, your father, takes our forgiveness. Those wilderness wanderers lived with a regular reminder that their sins were paid for in blood, but not their own, as they regularly offered up the life of a pure, spotless lamb, a life on their behalf. This is how we know for sure that we belong to that world if our trust is in the one true lamb who was already offered up the blood of the only truly innocent one, Jesus, the Saviour which is more precious than any prize that this world has. And it's what we've already remembered today in communion. So it begs us to kind of ponder the ongoing question, what price motivates me? Am I enamoured by the silver of gold of our materialistic world, the secure bank account, the comforts of home, which are good things if we have them to be received with thanksgiving? But it's a problem when we place them up too high and we're actually not captured by an increasing appreciation of the price that was paid by the blood of the Holy Son for us, who poured out his blood to buy us a place in the promised land. Because it is the great tragedy to strive for all this world offers, all its silver and gold, and even getting it yet missing out on the most valuable thing of all, the treasure that's already ours in Jesus' blood. Missing out on that is the tragedy we ought to fear. And here's the last distinctive Peter lays out for us. How are we to live as people who are living ahead of our time, who belong elsewhere? Well, point three, we are to live with an otherworldly love, from verse 22 to 2 verse 3. Um, being away for the last four weeks, I'm not absolutely sure whose very first day it is for us today. But if that's you, as you look around a church like ours, I think you'd probably look around and think, well, we're a pretty kind of normal group of people in many ways. Yet I hope what's already struck you by the way that we've sung, the way we've shared communion, 
is what's unusual about us is our love for Jesus and I hope already you've sensed a great love we have for one another. Uh, Let's continue on in the passage, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Now, obeying the truth there, I take it, is as those who have trusted in Jesus for your salvation and as those who have given up the illusion that we're good enough for a holy God. And the first way, uh, being made one with God again, is to bear fruit in our lives today, is to love one another deeply from the heart. Now, he's not just talking about being nice to each other. It's a much deeper call than that. Loving each other from the heart. And it's not just a call to love people that we're naturally drawn to. Not just our friends or the family that we're a part of. Anyone can do that. It's being in a mixed group of people like this from across the political spectrum, from every walk of life. People who persist with one another rather than dividing over things that have uh, divided so many in the years gone past. We're a people who actively rejoice in the diversity that's in this room, who can look past some pretty significant differences, who can share in loving trust in the ugliness that sometimes boils underneath away the pleasant facade. We're people who can be that open with each other And at the same time see that we're united in Jesus, being part of the same family, a family that's living before its time, belonging to a different and most beautiful place. And if you think about it, even just the glimpses that we get of that, it's a pretty otherworldly kind of love, isn't it? Loving others from the heart. It's something we all like the idea of, follower of Jesus or not. But when we try and kind of just generate that from ourselves, well, I don't know about you, but the results can be rather disappointing. (laughs) And that's not what Peter is asking us to do. He's asking us to let the truth of the Father's deep love for us change us from the inside out. And as imperfect as we are, you get to see that happening in real life in some very kind of ordinary places, ordinary churches, in ordinary people like us. As we pursue that together, we're a taste of that world where Jesus' rule is valued and adored, breaking into this world where it's not. Therefore, chapter 2, verse 1, rid yourselves of malice, and all deceit, hypocrisy, evil and slander of every kind. Because those things are marks of this broken world and that is not our home anymore. We are an imperfect church to be sure and we'll get this wrong and stumble and fall short of this time and again. But if we're people who are knocked over by the grace of God and never actually get up from it, captivated by the free forgiveness that Jesus provides, 
kind of girding our mind to place our hope fully on the grace that is to come, that joy of finally reaching our eternal home, that is something that gives us the power to show grace to each other, forgiving one another when sin rears its ugly head in our lives and actually rejoicing in showing grace and love one to another as Jesus calls us to do, loving each other from the heart in a way that's able to deal with our many flaws and imperfections. It's otherworldly stuff, isn't it? If you're here today and not yet convinced that belonging to Jesus is what you want for your life, as you consider these things, can I suggest that you look out for this evidence of something otherworldly in the Christians that you know. Ask them how Jesus has changed them. Christians remain imperfect for sure, we're only yet forgiven sinners. But do you see in their lives love from the heart? And as you look around at a church like this one, do you see a surprising level of care? Do you see people from different demographics, different tribes as our world would call them, brought together by something bigger? Could it just be a mark of the divine? It's a challenge to us all, but I'm also saying this to challenge some of us in a deeper way. It is the privilege of my job to see much of what goes on behind the scenes, and many times it's great acts of otherworldly love that go unheralded. As you pick up from my leaflet letter today, I'm extremely thankful to God for how so many have come back from the distractions of the past two years and put loving God, loving one another and wanting to love our local community by sharing the great news of Jesus at the very centre of life, both here and at Tonsley, which we've just planted this year, There's much I rejoice in. I think we're perhaps the healthiest we've ever been as a church and for that God deserves all the glory, honour and praise. Yet also I notice there are some of us still distracted by what this world offers now who don't make time for showing this kind of otherworldly love one to another who have given up striving to bear the family resemblance. It's easy to get there, and um, we all know it for well. But I want to implore you from today's passage to come back to this family and to make time to love one another deeply. It will mean saying no to other things that you love. It will come at a cost. You can't have everything this world offers and still cling to the next. But boy, some of us and myself at times have given it a great go. That's the gravity of my heart. So how do we actually grow in that love? Well, we're told here by drinking deep in God's word, verse 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. The word of truth that gives us life in the first place is also what we're given to nourish us on the way home. 
That's the beautiful thing about the Bible. It's simple enough for a child to delight in as it leads us to Jesus the King and deep enough to spend a lifetime tasting more of its richness. Whatever your age, whatever your maturity, we all need to crave it like a dependent child. So however it plays out, work into your lives investing into and loving others through the word and finding that in return. There's lots of ways you can do that. Uh, Growth groups that have just started are one way that works for most. and It's not too late to join. But whatever you do, don't ever kind of stand up again after being knocked over by the grace of God. Stay there in that grace, rejoice in it, revealed uh, to us through God's word. And know that you need it and that you need God's word and we're to crave it like pure spiritual milk. And if you're with us today wondering if this is all true, work out, working out uh, that for you will necessarily involve you going deeper into God's word. We're a church that's founded on the very heart of loving to help people do that all the more. Uh, we can do that one-to-one. Our life series is running at the moment and you can come along tonight if you like. But for all of us, It is good for us to know that belonging to Jesus does mean living ahead of your time, living differently with a healthy kind of fear that brings life with an otherworldly love developing one to another. We're going to continue to explore this in the coming weeks, but for now let me pray that our hope will stand out. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for the grace and love you have shown us by sending Jesus to the cross uh, to pour out his blood there as a sacrifice so that uh, any person on the planet can come to you and be made clean by Jesus, to be made holy and to be given a place in your family for all eternity. Please help us to live as you have called us, as strangers in this world, enjoying your goodness, but not as people who grasp on to the things this world offers too tightly, Uh, as people who rejoice in the many good things that you give us, and you've richly blessed us here uh, to live in such a country in such a time, and we thank you for it. But please help these things not distract us uh, from the true value of knowing you and from the price you paid to reconcile us to you. So please help us as your people uh, to live differently in this world today with a kind of fear that brings health and life and security that works itself out in an otherworldly love one to another as your people. We pray all of this for your glory and for our great blessing in Jesus' precious and very powerful name. Amen.